Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. This is Paul coming back to you again with the Trail of Blood study in our Baptist church history, and we're talking about just in general church history because this is how all of the churches started, and we're going to see where all of the churches eventually came from. We're finishing the second half of the Lives of the Apostles when we start with Matthew today, because Matthew, in all likelihood, considered himself such a great sinner He called himself Matthew, but in Mark's gospel, he's called Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and Luke refers to him as Levi, and Matthew is in the list of names of all of the apostles, and so he's called Matthew, of course, author of the gospel of Matthew, and we might expect a lot of detail about his character because he's the author of the gospel. However, very little is said about him. Because he was a very humble man, he was very self-effacing, and he kept himself almost completely in the background throughout his lengthy time with Christ. And so, once is where he records his call, and the other is where he's listed with the twelve apostles. And that's all he says about himself. Well, we know that Matthew wrote the gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. Tradition says that he ministered to the Jews, both in Israel and abroad, and for many years before he was martyred for his faith, he continued to just preach the gospel faithfully. There's no reliable record as to how he was put to death, but the earliest traditions tell us that he was burned at the stake. This man who walked from a very lucrative career without ever giving it a second thought, he just got up and left the table, left the whole career. He remained willing to give his life for Christ and give all, even to the very end. Well, now that brings us to another. Next apostle we're going to be talking about is Thomas. And according to John eleven sixteen, he's also called Didymus. He is a twin. Didymus is the Greek name for twin. Tom is the Hebrew of twin. And Thomas is the uh, Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Tom. So we don't know if he had a twin brother or a twin sister. Nothing is ever identified. Nothing is ever told about the other. But Thomas is only mentioned once in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John talks a lot more about him. 
And we call him Doubting Thomas. And I think that that's really not fair because he had a deep, deep love for Jesus. He was a pessimist. He was a very negative kind of a fellow until after the resurrection of Christ. But I think that he went away after Christ was crucified and went to be by himself. And while the other disciples, the other apostles were waiting in the upper room, Thomas went off to be by himself. And that's why he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to them the first time. So Thomas was undoubtedly made the greatest statement when he saw Christ. And Jesus didn't have to be told what he said. He knew that Thomas had said, I won't believe unless I put my hands in the nail prints of his hands and my hand in his side. But when he saw the Lord, he said, my Lord and my God. He recognized and worshiped Jesus as his God. So suddenly, Thomas, being kind of comfortless, really his whole life changes as all of the apostles after the resurrection of Christ, they became bold witnesses for Christ. And of course, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowered them. It was not of their own. It was the working of God in their lives. He became a great evangelist. As a matter of fact, the testimony, Thomas went into what is modern-day Iran, Persia of the old empire, and India. As a matter of fact, not far from the airport in Madras, there is a tomb that they consider to be the tomb of Thomas. And there is still a church in southern India that claims that Thomas was their original pastor. And so it's fitting that he had gone in and ministered the gospel to thousands and thousands of people in Persia and India. The strongest traditions tell us that he was martyred for the faith by being run through in the side with a spear, like our Lord. It was a fitting form of martyrdom. And for his faith as he came of age, he was bold right up to the very end, and he longed to be reunited with the Lord. Let's pick up now, talk about James, the son of Alphaeus. The only thing that scripture tells us about this man is his name. If he ever wrote anything, eh, scripture doesn't record it. We have no understanding much more about him except that his name was listed, that he was among the twelve, but not much is known. If he ever asked Jesus any questions, we don't know. Nothing to fame or notoriety or to his shame, except that he was among all of the disciples that left all, left father, mother, left their homes, did all that they could, and followed Jesus. And then, of course, he was among those that ran when they took our Lord on the night in which he was betrayed and while they took him. In any case, we can be certain that he became a powerful preacher like the others. He surely performed the signs of an apostle and did mighty signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that. His name is inscribed in one of the gates of the heavenly city. What a blessing. Here's an interesting thought about James, son of Alphaeus. 
You might recall that according to Matthew 12, 14, Levi, Matthew was the son of a man named Alphaeus as well. It could be that James' brother was Matthew, the tax collector, but we just don't know. After all, Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers. Why not these two? Could be. There's no effort on the part of Scripture to distinguish between the two different men named Alphaeus. But on the other hand, Matthew and James are nowhere identified as brothers. We simply don't know whether or not they were. And we don't have any reliable accounts of his death, except that it was said that he was martyred for the cause of Christ. We don't know whether he was crucified, stoned, some of the apostles were thrown into the sea. Terrible things. We just don't know. The account is that he was martyred for Christ. Now I want to talk about Simon the Canaanite. Simon Canaan, or the zealot, and that's what the word, not that he was a Canaanite, but that he was of the zealous, that he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. His ideas were that Israel should become as a nation and overthrow Rome. And so the zealots were sometimes assassins. They would do everything they could to overthrow Rome and cause trouble. They were known for not caring what would happen to their family if they were taken, arrested. They made no difference. They made vows that whatever happened to our family, the cause of God was greater. The cause of Zionism was greater. It's funny because at one point, the Lord sends out disciples two by two, and he is sent out with Judas Iscariot, who becomes the traitor. Now, all of the apostles were Galileans except for Judas Iscariot. And so I wonder, God knew exactly what he was doing when he sent those two out. One who would have been so zealous for the Lord and such a, a strong person, then he would send him out with someone that was really a deceiver because Judas deceived them right up to the end. At the Last Supper, they didn't know that it was Judas. No one suspected Judas even when the Last Supper came around. Simon the Zealot, there are several sources that say that after the destruction of Jerusalem, Simon took the gospel north and he preached in the British Isles. Like so many others, Simon possibly disappears from the biblical record. There's no reliable account of what happened to him, but all accounts say that he was killed for preaching the gospel. This man who once was willing to kill and be killed for a political reason within the confines of Judea finds himself now more fruitful for the cause of Christ for which he gave his life outside of Judea in the proclamation of salvation to sinners of every nation, tongue, and tribe. He was a fierce, loyal man and an interesting man that the Lord would have taken and used him. Some accounts say that at one of the times when the Lord sent the two, sent them out two by two, that he went with Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. Now imagine that. If that were so, here is Simon Zelotes, who is such a strong Jew and wants to see the political 
coming of the Messiah. They want to see Rome overthrown. And here is a man who is a traitor, Matthew, the tax collector, someone who was working for the other side. <laughs> Just amazing to think that the Lord would have paired those two up. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you, and back to our podcast. How about Judas, the son of James? Here's a man with three names. Judas, the son of James. The name Judas, in and of itself, is a fine name. It means Jehovah leads. But because of the treachery of Judas Iscariot, the name Judas had a negative connotation. And so when the Apostle John mentions him, he calls him Judas, not Iscariot. In John 14 and 22, Judas, the son of James, actually has three names. He's called Thaddeus, he's called Labius, Triomius. And Thaddeus, he is known, Judas was probably given that name at birth. Labius was a surname, essentially kind of a nickname. Thaddeus meant that it probably carries the idea that he was a mama's boy, that he was literally, it means, breast child. And so it evokes the idea of a mama's boy. Perhaps he was the youngest of the family. We don't know. Maybe the baby of many siblings. But he obviously cherished was cherished by his mother. And so his other name, Labius, is similar. It's from the Hebrew that literally means heart child. So that's why we say that he probably was very close to his mother. Most of the early traditions regarding Judas, the son of James, suggest that a few years after Pentecost, he took the gospel north to Edessa, a royal city of Mesopotamia. And it was in the region of Turkey today. There are numerous accounts that he healed the king of Edessa, a man named Abgar. Eusebius, the historian, says that the archives in Edessa, which are now destroyed, contain full records of Judas, the son of James, visit and the healing of Abgar. Three traditional apostolic symbols of Judas Thaddeus is a club because tradition says that he was clubbed to death for his faith. So this tender-hearted soul, he followed our Lord faithfully to the end. His testimony was powerful, was far-reaching. He went everywhere preaching the gospel. He was maybe not the most well-known of the disciples, but he was an outspoken disciple. He was very bold in how, after the day of Pentecost, he was used of the Lord. Well, now that brings us to the final disciple, and that is Judas Iscariot, or Judas the traitor. He is the most notorious. More is said about him 
probably because of that. His name appears last in every one of the biblical list of the apostles, except in Acts chapter 1, where it's not there at all. Every time Judas is mentioned in Scripture, we find the note that he's a traitor. He was the probably the most colossal human failure in life. He committed the most horrible, heinous act any individual. And when he could have come to the Lord and asked to have been restored, and it's like the Lord took time, had he really had a heart of repentance, I think the Lord would have forgiven him. That wasn't in his heart. The dark story, of course, goes on of how his heart was, he was upset. He wanted to repent. Some would say that he sold Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver, knowing that the Lord in the past had just walked through the hands of those that wanted to kill him, and that he would have walked away with this as well. However, when he saw that the Lord was given taken in death. He knew he had done wrong. However, there was not the heart repentance like we see with Peter, like we see with other apostles. His surname Iscariot identifies that he was a man from the town of Kirioth. A man of Kirioth is literally what that means. Judas probably came from uh, Kirioth Hezron, according to Joshua 15.25. That was a humble town in the south of Judea, he was apparently the only one of the disciples that wasn't from Galilee. Judas's father was surnamed Simon. This Simon is otherwise unknown to us. It's a common name, and obviously nothing of Judas's family or background, social background, is known. The only apostle besides James whose death is recorded in the Bible is Judas Iscariot. We know that he took the money, went back, tried to give it back to the high priest. The high priest buy land because Judas tries to hang himself. And of course, we see that probably what happened was the branch where he hung himself broke and he fell. The different Bible accounts are harmonious that he hung himself and then the branch fell and that his abdomen broke forth. It says that his bowels gushed forth. And then the priest bought that field with the money. They couldn't use it for anything else. And therefore, we see that all of the gospel accounts do fit harmoniously, perfectly in one another. But Judas says that his, he was filled with Satan. And how sad, how sad was the account. And the Lord chose him, knowing that he was what he was going to do. Christ boldly went forward to his death, understanding exactly what was going to happen. Well, those are the 12 apostles. We're going to just touch a little bit more about them and how their lives impacted in the future. But I want to pick up on our next session and talk about something. See here in the trail of blood, but notice it says church government has changed. We're going to talk about the makeup of the church, the, how the apostles organized the church, why we meet on the first day of the week and not on the Saturday Sabbath anymore. We're going to see all of those from the biblical accounts. Why 
churches are uh, local, independent, and how they associate together. All of those things are in the scripture. All of those areas need to be considered the offices in the church. We're going to talk about deacons, even a deaconess, how that came about, and all of the various aspects in the early church from the book of Acts. Because we have seen that Jesus organized his church. That's an important thing. It was soon later in the 200s that some began to go away and they began to practice some irregular things. And one of the first things is, as we see right here, that church government is changed. And that begins with the pastors trying to take on more than they were given. All right, we'll look forward to meeting again. Thank you so much, and Lord bless. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.